Welcome in once again, Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. And before we get to the show this week, we have some great news to share with you. In January, we had our biggest download month ever. In February, we surpassed that. And you know what that shows us? It's a grassroots effort. It's you that is helping us. You are the ones that are sharing it. You are the ones that are talking about it on your network. You are the ones that are helping us grow. And one thing that you can do, in addition to all the things I just mentioned, to continue to help us to grow is leave us a review. Leave us some positive feedback. Because if you do that, hey, even if it's negative feedback, that's fine too, because it will all help us grow. But if you'd like to leave us some feedback and you really enjoy the show, then go to your favorite podcasting service and please do so because those ratings really help us grow. It helps other people find the show. So thank you again. We very much appreciate it. And our promise to you is we'll continue to bring you great guests weekly like our guest this week, communication expert, Dr. Laura Sicola. Now she helps people become more effective speakers and she has a special message in this episode to women and how they can find their voice and be heard the way they want and still be their authentic selves. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, episode number 71, starts now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I am Jeff Bolitnikoff, and I'm very excited to have a guest that is a leadership communication and influence coach. She's a trainer, speaker, and author. And I'm going to mention her book. It's Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. She's the founder of Vocal Impact Productions in Philadelphia, PA. And oh my gosh, she does so much. I I just can't keep going on this bio because she's going to label me a bad communicator (laughs) because I've got to get her on this show. Dr. Laura Sicola, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. And in a nutshell, from what I can ascertain, you really help leaders find their voice, find their story. And and I was really interested in the one article you had, want to sound like a leader, start by saying your name right. And that was really cool. But maybe you could go over your background, your bio, and how you are helping leaders become better leaders through communication. Sure, my pleasure. The what's interesting is that for me as a as a communications person and someone who specializes in speech and voice and whatnot, I'm unlike many people in my field, I'm not an actor, I'm not a singer, I'm not a performing artist. I'm a teacher and I'm a linguist. I mean, I started out a long time ago, my former life as a public teacher, a public school teacher in South Central Los Angeles. So what I like to tell my audience is when, when I'm doing speaking engagements is that after that, no audience scares me anymore. So it just makes life. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine oh, not. No. Wow. No, but it's, you know, the great thing is that that really grounds you in trying to figure out where you are or are not clear and effective in your communication uh, because kids are going to interpret things in different ways. 
when people are coming from other countries, they're going to hear things differently. And if English isn't their native language, as many of my students weren't. And I, I evolved from there to teaching that at the university level, I, I went to the University of Pennsylvania to do my doctorate in education and linguistics. Uh, and I did a lot of teaching there as well. But the, the focus for me was looking at cognitive processing and speech. How do we when we listen to speech and when we are speaking, what's happening in our brains? And from a social aspect, then what creates that difference, that gap between what I think I say and what you think you hear? You ever have that situation where you're like, I know what just came out of my mouth. How did you read that into it? You ever have one of those arguments? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I've had plenty of times where I've been, I, 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 and it's always that follow-up that you have. You say something, somebody's like, whoa, and they react in a completely different way. And then you look at them and you go, oh, no, no, I didn't mean it that way. And, you, and then you're left after the conversation thinking, how did I get to that place where I had to explain myself? Right, right. What part of what I was saying and thinking wasn't obvious to you and why? So that's my job. I look at what do you mean? What are you trying to convey? What kind of response do you want? And then what is it about the way that you're talking to that person that is or is not likely to get you there? And often we really don't realize how much of a gap there is between the message we hear in our heads and what actually comes out. Point of proof I mean, I'm, I'm telling everybody out there who's listening, raise your hand if you've seen yourself on somebody's video that they took with their phones at whatever event. And 10 seconds later, after recording it, you see the video and you think to yourself, oh, my God, that sounded so much better in my head. Or what was I doing with my face? Or who let me out of the house wearing that? You know, there's, there's so many things that we catch on that video where we're going how did I not realize that that's what I was saying or doing or looking like in the moment when I was there when it happened? And yet what I see in my mind is not the same as what I now suddenly realize that other people see. And my job is to help you figure out where those gaps are likely and make sure that we basically don't let them happen. Or to the extent that there is a miscommunication, we figure out why, how to fix it, and how to strengthen the relationships with other people while ensuring that your message is heard and you get to the yes that you're looking for. Okay, so what are the common things that people are doing that they're not realizing? Is it a body language thing? Is it facial? Is it tone of voice or all of the above or something else? Oh, definitely all of the above. Definitely all of the above. So for example, uh, on the content side of the, of the, the coin, there is what I like to call the expert's curse. We all suffer from it at some point where you're the expert in a particular area. You forget what's either not obvious to everybody else in the world who doesn't share your expertise because it's so inherently intuitive to you now, or you assume that they need all these extra details and or that they even want all these extra details. So they ask you for information or you need to present something to them and your response is kind of the equivalent to open mouth, turn on fire hose and then expect them to drink from it. And they just drown in information where they're thinking to themselves, all I really want is this. So how do you gauge exactly how much information and what information, details, stories, explanations, examples, jargon, statistics, or not, 
does that other person need in order to get it and to be able to connect with me in the process? And that's a surprisingly hard skill for many people to really figure out. But when you can, boy, does it make a difference. What do you do to help them through that so that they can effectively communicate with their audience? There's a number of things. One is to first take a step back and ask yourself, who is the audience and what is their priority? What is their objective? What pressure are they under? Because if you're, let's say you work for a big company and, you know, some Fortune 100 gigundo corporation, you maybe you're in the marketing department there. Well, if you're in marketing, at some point, maybe you need to talk to finance. And at a different time, you need to talk to IT. And at a different point, you need to talk to business development. And at a different point, you have to manage up and talk to your senior leadership executive team. Each of those audiences needs to understand a different aspect of what you do and how, why you're talking to them. Either they need information from you or you need information from them. But one way or another, you can't present your information to them in the same way because they don't need all the details of your expertise, but they each need something else. The finance guys don't need to know and aren't interested in the same things that your IT guys are gonna be interested in. So taking a step back, And really thinking about why your information is relevant to them, how it influences them, their behaviors, your expectations of them, or anything else, that's the first step. And most people don't do that at all, much less do it effectively. So when you're doing this, because at the end of the day, you are not only a teacher, but you're also a scientist. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be a method to all of this to really be able to discern the different folks that you need to give different messages to. And I guess it's both a science and an art at the same time. So when you're encountering somebody that's just completely frustrated with the fact that they keep delivering these messages, they're not received, or it's too much for one person, too little for another, What kind of process do you take them through when you're coaching them to get them to a point where they become competent at it? There's a number of pieces involved. One, of course, what we've been talking about so far is the content. Then there's also the delivery aspect, right? Because you can have brilliant material, but if it's not delivered tactfully or patiently or enthusiastically or confidently, all of those little qualitative differences will really change how the listener interprets it. And in part, because it's going to change how they think you feel about what you're saying, about having to talk to them, about many other things. How many times have you had the argument with somebody that you're having a perfectly normal conversation and then it degenerates, somebody's mad and you say, well, why are you upset? What did I say? And the answer is, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. We've all been there at some point. And so the, the content is the one piece, but the delivery is really the other and making sure that you are doing that effectively. So for example, I do a lot of trainings with groups and I just did a training uh, maybe a month or so ago with Boeing, about a hundred people in Boeing uh, here outside of Philadelphia. And one of the 
elements that I was talking about was in managing up. And the idea of when you are trying to speak to a senior leader, you have to get to the point. They don't have time or interest in knowing all the details about how you got to your conclusion. They just want your conclusion. And then from there, they may ask you for more information, at which point give them the details that they request. Not more, not less. And when we were finished with that event, a couple of the VPs came up to me and just said, thank you for bringing that point up because we reiterate that over and over again and people just can't get to the point. We just want the point. We don't want all the background detail and information. And that's something that happens all the time. Every time I mention it, the senior most people in the room will say, thank you for reinforcing that point to us. Let's get to the point. So that's, and the challenge is, of course, on the delivery side, much of the reason why people give too much detail is because, well, they're a little nervous that they're talking to somebody who outranks them. And so they want to prove themselves. They want to try to justify the conclusions they've come to. They want the senior person to know how hard they worked, to understand how thorough their analysis was, to understand you know, all whatever may go around it, hopefully to prevent any extra questions, because let's face it, questions are scary. You don't know what they'll ask. You don't want to get caught without an answer. So you try to proactively or preemptively give any possible information they might want so they don't have to ask the question. Unfortunately, while all those are very logical reasons for giving tons of information, before they even get through half of it, the bosses are going, whoa, 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 too much. I don't need all that don't want all that, get to the point. Where are we going with this? Tell me in one sentence. And it's, it's that push-pull that a lot of people struggle with and being able to manage up in that way, confidently saying it is a big piece of it. How do you take that leap of faith, but ensure that your voice sounds confident, ensure that your body language projects confidence. Even if you get challenges and questions, how do you have that grace under fire to not look like you just crumbled under the interrogation, but you hold your ground? That gets respect, and that's what you need. Well, how do you coach people to do all that stuff? Are there some specific things that they will do to get better with their body language, their delivery? Do you suggest improv classes, speech classes, Toastmasters, or what are some things you do to get them more confident and get them reps before they're sitting in front of a senior manager, again, kind of on the proverbial hot seat? The easiest thing to do is to video record yourself with your phone. Now, mind you, it's also the thing people fear the most is having to look at themselves on camera, but it's what I refer to as my broccoli lesson. Think of it this way. If you, if you have kids or if you ever were a kid, kids always want to eat sweets or snacks of some sort. They don't want to eat green vegetables. I think but, at age 51, I'm the same way. I'm, I must be a big kid. <laughs> I think we're all kids at heart one way or another. Right, but, exactly. You know, <laughs> most kids don't want to eat the broccoli, but parents will typically force it at some point or other. They make you eat a little bit of it. Ultimately, it helps you grow up big and strong and you might even develop a taste for it. So you'll thank them later. It's the same with the video cameras. It doesn't necessarily taste good in the moment that you're using it because nobody loves to stare at themselves. Well, most people don't love to look at themselves on camera, but it's great to be able to see when you do a little demo, you do a little dry run of something, you see yourself on camera. And like we talked about before, 
you see the difference between what you intended to say and how you intended to come across versus how you actually came across and what you actually said. And by realizing in advance where that gap is, it helps you to close that gap before you have to actually sit in that hot seat, as you called it. And by then, you've already worked out some of the kinks. So you can really be a lot more effective when the time comes. That's solid. And what are some things that people should do to try to understand the different audiences and put themselves in their shoes? Because I would imagine that a high degree of empathy is really needed to be an effective communicator because you got to understand where that other person is coming from. What does she need? What, yes. what is she looking for? And so what are some things that you coach people to do to develop the skill where you're giving maybe a shorter type of speech to a, or a presentation to, like you said earlier, somebody in IT versus somebody in senior management versus somebody that's maybe your peer? When in doubt, ask yourself three levels of why. And by that, if you start by saying, okay, what do I need to tell this person? Or what do they, what do I think they need or want to know? Well, I'm going to talk to them about this. Why? Why do they need to know that? Well, because they need to be able to do this. Why? Why do they need to do that? Well, because they need, and the, if you can go down three levels, sometimes more, but at least three, that's usually when you get to the, oh, okay. So they really need to be able to do this, at which point, yeah, that information I was going to give them, they probably don't need this piece, but they need that. So for example, I worked with a, a biotech company and somebody who was in charge of communicating with the heads of hospitals and trying to uh, inform them on how to talk to the patients about this new device that would be implanted in the heart and help stroke patients, people who'd had a stroke to avoid uh, having another one down the line. And as we're talking about it, I'm asking her, okay, well, so why would people want to have this thing, this device implanted in the heart? That sounds kind of scary. And she said, well, because then you don't need to keep taking warfarin or Coumadin. I thought, okay, let me get this straight. I have heart surgery or I take medicine. Yeah, I'm still not seeing. What am I, why would I want heart surgery on something like that? And she said, well, it's not surgery. It's just, you know, it's a little in, I mean, it's not open heart surgery. You just, it goes in through a, a vein in the leg and inserted that way. I said, okay, I still don't see why this is better. Well, because if you don't have the Coumadin, she tells me, then you don't have to go to the clinic on a regular basis for monitoring. I said, okay, wait, now we're getting someplace. So if I, how often does somebody go to the clinic for monitoring? She said, monthly. I said, for how long? She said, for the rest of your life. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, how long does the, does the session typically last? She said, well, you know, a doctor's visit will be half an hour to an hour, give or take. I said, and that doesn't include the time you're sitting in the waiting room. That doesn't include the commute. And that doesn't take into account who might have to drive me, especially if I'm older, uh, whoever's my caretaker, and how far away these clinics are, depending on where I live in the country, et cetera. So arguably, each visit could be a half a day or significantly longer for both me and my caregiver. She said, yes. I said, it's not just about if you take this, if you have this device inserted that you don't have to take Coumadin anymore, 
you're giving me back an extra day every month for the rest of my life. That's a quality of life issue. And she went, oh, I never really thought about it that way. I thought, well, you better start thinking about it that way because that's a much better reason for me to look at having an implanted device in the heart, not just, well, because then you don't have to take the pill. Do you see the difference? Yeah, because you're bringing it to that person as to why they would care about it. Let's pivot real quick here okay? and talk about your business. Oh, and earlier in the interview, I believe that I mentioned that Want to Sound Like a Leader was an article. It's actually a TED Talk and a TED Talk that's got over 5.5 million views and counting. And if you, and I'm speaking to the audience here, if you would like to add to those views, then go ahead and check out that TED Talk in the resource section. But let's talk about your journey in business and what got you to the point that you're at right now. I'm fascinated by the story of you being able to create something that people are really embracing and being a part of because, hey, all of us, we want to be effective speakers and communicators. I'm a completely accidental entrepreneur. I am not a business person. I do not have business background, business degree, business training, you know, minimal corporate experience for the 20 minutes after college that I uh, ever worked in a company before I shifted gears and became a teacher. But in attempting to, my intention in coming to Philadelphia, I did my PhD at the University of Pennsylvania and my intent was to be a professor. Fast forward a few years, I'm in the graduation phase and on the market and realized what the tenure track was like and how few jobs there were, how there were literally hundreds of applicants per job. And a lot of them were just in places that I wasn't ready to live. I'm a city girl. I need concrete and takeout, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love cows and corn, but you know, that should be on my plate, not in my backyard kind of a thing. I need the city. And it was an accident really where I was at a wedding reception and talking to somebody who I just happened to be sitting next to at the table. And he asked what I was doing. I mentioned I was getting ready to graduate. He asked about my research. And it turned out that he was the vice president of government programs at IBM. And he'd always had an interest in the topic that I happened to have done my dissertation research on. And he had an intuition about it, but he never had any of the stats or the facts or the science to back it up. I did. So we said, do you think you could come and do a training for my global leadership team? I'd be interested in sharing some of this information with them. I think they'd find it valuable. And I thought, well, sure, I can do that. And lo and behold, I had a consulting contract. And that was kind of neat. And I thought, well, this is fun and lucrative and autonomous and creative and challenging and all the stuff that I wanted. And um, about two months later, something very similar happened. Quite literally, somebody uh, from a bank called the University of Pennsylvania looking for a particular uh, department, but they didn't know how to ask. You know, often non-experts don't know how to ask for something. So they asked for the wrong thing and got routed to my extension. I'm talking to them and I realized what they needed. I sent them, I said, here's the guy you need to talk to. Here's how you want to phrase it. Here's what you can expect. If it helps, great. I'm glad to have been of service. However, given what it is, it sounds like you're looking for, if you're, I was teaching part-time as an adjunct at, the, at that point, I said, 
If you're looking for something a little bit more flexible, because let's face it, getting an 800-pound gorilla like the University of Pennsylvania to create a customized program and bring it to you on site at the bank, at whatever else, good luck with that happening in less than you know 10 years worth of legal negotiations, et cetera. If you're looking for something a bit more flexible, call me back and we'll see where that goes. And he did. He called me back. So because I, I had my training in that area. I had worked in that department. If they were looking for that brand, well, I had my PhD from there and I was faculty there. So I was about as Penn as it got. And it turned out that Penn and uh, three other local universities all submitted proposals, as did I, and I got it. And then suddenly there I was doing this consulting work. Um, and the pivot for me happened. So at that point, I realized, okay, this is clearly what I'm meant to do. I loved the training. I loved the co- the consulting and the, ch- the coaching work. And a few years later in 2013, Lean In was published. Do you remember Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg's book? Yeah. Yeah, I do actually. So that's all about looking at the wage gap in corporate America and, and challenges of women trying to get to the top and succeeding at the top in the workplace, work-life balance, all that kind of stuff. And I started to straw poll people when I was at networking events, talking to all the women saying, did you read this? What'd you think? Have you had a similar experience? And the the response was clearly overwhelming that so many women didn't feel like they were heard. They would try to lean in maybe more effectively than others, but they just didn't feel like they were listened to the right way. And I thought, well, maybe it's about, in part, the way that we're communicating that's not getting through. So I inquired and I said, well, do you think there might be an interest in something like a vocal empowerment for women in leadership program? And the response was amazing. The I expected platitudes like, yeah, sure, good luck with that. Sounds good. And instead I got wait, you're going to hold something like that? When? Where? Do I need to buy a ticket? How do I get in? What do you need? And I thought, wow, okay, if there's really this kind of demand, maybe that's where I should be focusing. And so honestly, within about six weeks of reading that book and doing my straw polling, I rebranded as Vocal Impact Productions. I, with the not exclusive focus on women, but with women, women's empowerment through communication being the turning point and the focus at that moment. And very shortly thereafter, you know, others were raising their hands saying, uh, you know, we're guys, but we kind of need help in this area too. So, but that was the the big shift in deciding that vocal impact productions was the, the nature of the work I needed to do. And it was going to be about helping people speak for their own empowerment and to gain greater influence in the workplace and beyond. So there's the long and short. So would you have progressed in this business. Like you said, it's been since 2013. I mean, before that, it was going, of course, but we'll be back with our guest in just a second. And if you're really enjoying what you're hearing here, why not get some extras from our guest? After every podcast episode, we have some fun questions for our guest that we give exclusively to patrons. All you have to do is go to the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com and check out the Becoming a Patron section. For just $5 a month, you'll get extras from each week's guest. For just $10 a month, you'll get the extras and we'll release the podcast to you before anyone else gets it. Not only will you get great extra content for yourself, but you'll support not only this podcast, but Athena International as well. So again, please consider becoming a patron at the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com. 
All right, let's get back into the episode. 2008 is when I first sort of hung out my shingle as a, as an independent contractor. And uh, you, you fumble around a little bit trying to figure out what is my brand and what are the services that I can offer and who is the client who needs me and can afford to pay for it and whatever there's everybody wants you to come and talk for free sure that's that's easy enough but eventually you got to eat so (laughs) you know it's funny because when i was on the job market looking for a tenure track positions i was also quite dismayed frankly by what salaries there were for positions in social sciences at universities it was significantly less than i would have been making if i had just stayed teaching public school. And I, I, my mantra became, I was never motivated by money until you told me I couldn't have any. I like that. <laughs> so, I like so that, that a lot. Became, and it's true. You know, I don't have to be a, a money hungry, uh, you know, awful fill in the blank, but you do have to eat. And, you know, I didn't have a sugar daddy. I didn't have a trust fund. I didn't have whoever else to support me. So look, as an entrepreneur, we all know, eat what you kill. So it was a question of figuring out how to pay the bills, and that's the direction you went. Well, so you started in 2008. You had the big shift in 2013. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, you've kind of, as you said, it's not exclusively women, but you're certainly influencing women leaders. And that's more of, a, I don't know if you'd call it the focus of your businesses, but your business leans that way. And so it's a sweet spot. Let's put it that way. Sweet spot. I like that. It's a sweet spot. So, you're addressing mainly women right now on this podcast. It's most of our listeners, not all, but most of our listeners are women. Sure. So what would you like to say to them right now about being heard, being able to be, being able to lean in, if you will. And I just really like you to address them right now with whatever you'd like to say. Ladies, two key tips. Number one, do not fall prey to the fool's choice. What I mean by that is we often feel frustrated like we're not being effective by doing something in particular, like maybe we're too nice or when we try to be diplomatic and we try to be collaborative, but then maybe we get walked on. And so we say to ourselves, well, if that's not working the opposite, I don't like either because then I just have to be nasty. And then I get the witch in the boardroom, except not witch, kind of a reputation. So which is worse? That's the fool's choice. It's not a heads or tails, black or white, either or. The question is, what are we doing that is within the constellation of being too nice or being too rough and witchy that is giving us that reputation? And how do we tweak just a little bit of it to take that edge off or to give us the boost we need without launching all the way to the far extreme. That's a, the one of the biggest challenges women face is that uh, self-enforced belief that it's an either or choice. And then we get paralyzed because we don't like either of the apparent options. And I want to encourage you, whether you read my book or you reach out to me in some other way, LinkedIn or email or wherever it is, but realize that there's so many different ingredients involved that sometimes just tweaking one of these or one of those can make all the difference in a way that is far more effective, gets you the results you want, gets you heard the way you want to be heard, but still allows you to be you, to be authentic. When you figure out how to do that, that's where your power really resides. 
that's the big one. I've often thought of, and I love that answer. I, I have often thought of communication as kind of a poker tournament. And for people that play poker, you'll understand what I'm talking about, but people that don't, I will explain. So in poker tournaments, especially poker in general, you play the player, your opponent. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not saying the people you communicate with are your opponent. I don't mean it that way, but it's the individual situation that you're in at that time that you will use a certain form of communication over the other. So, and I think what I'm hearing here is, is that it can be situational, right? So you may be a little bit on, I'm not saying you'd ever be totally harsh, but you might be a little more harsh than normal with somebody in a specific situation, or maybe a little more nice to somebody else in another situation or more explanatory in another situation. But everything is very, as I'm hearing you say it, I'm kind of relating it to what I know. It's, it's very situational and individualized and very in the moment. Am I right? Or am I off on that? Well, you're very right in that. And to, to get a little bit more concrete in it, for example, often people who are more non-confrontational and they want to be more collaborative, they want to be on the nicer side, so to speak. They like being nice. That's an important driving factor to, to make sure everybody's happy. Then maybe when they're in a meeting and trying to make some points or to talk to someone, they may use a lot of upspeak when they talk. So it sounds like they're asking lots of questions, even when they're not. Can you hear what I'm doing? I, and, I definitely can hear what you're doing. And right. it's really, it really kind of makes you sound like you're questioning everything, right. even if you don't mean to. I'm doing it too. <laughs> yes, you did it beautifully. So that's called upspeak. Okay. And what they don't realize is that while they may be trying to in, uh, get others to chime in and say, yes, right, okay, that what they're actually doing is sabotaging their own authority. That because they don't sound confident in doing that. They sound like they're insecure. They sound like they're afraid of you. They sound like they're not totally sure of what they're talking about because they're inflecting lots of little questions like, right, you know, okay, which sounds like they're begging you to reaffirm them on a regular basis. And that just cuts them off themselves off at the knees. But if they're thinking to themselves, well, I want to be nice. Okay. But you don't have to sound terrified and uncertain and like you're 12 in order to sound nice. There's no reason that you can't say, but you can't state exactly what you need to state while in a very nice way, but still having vocal periods at the ends of your sentences where your voice drops. It's not that everything has to go down. You don't need to be harsh. This is not what I mean. But just a little more inflection where at the ends of phrases and sentences, there's that declarative tone and it's a completion just like this. It just makes you sound like, okay, I made a statement as opposed to, is it okay? Can you hear the difference? Absolutely. And And is the other one nasty? No, I don't. It didn't really... I, you know, the one when you gave the example of being nasty, it did sound that way. But the one that you were talking about, it, it sounded more matter of fact to me, actually. Exactly. So, I mean, when I do this and I have everything come down, fall hard. Yeah, that sounds nasty. But just the opposite of having it go up is simply having it come down. And that little declarative tone, it's just a statement without begging for permission. And so you can figure out ways to 
just change those little tiny details with in a way that doesn't make you sound like a doormat, but doesn't make you sound like a bulldozer either. And when you start to realize where those just changing that little tiny detail without changing a word of what you said can help boost that that aura of confidence. Well, if you sound more confident, you sound more respectable because it sounds like you respect yourself. And then that makes me want to respect you more and respect your ideas. And you're more likely to get heard. Little tiny tweaks. You don't have to launch yourself all the way to the far end of the spectrum from doormat to nasty. That's the fool's choice again. You need to stay away from that. And I find that in my career, a lot of times people, more than anything, they hate it when you, or I should say when they feel like you're patronizing them. Mm-hmm. And people don't mean to do that. They're trying to, like you said, if they're doing the really kind of kind of like up type of thing, they're trying mm-hmm. to, they sound not confident, but it's almost like people perceive it as you're running a game on them. Or even if you're overly nasty when you don't need to be, it's almost like you're running a game on them. You're not respecting them and meeting them at a level where they can just make a decision, yay or nay, based on the available facts. It's almost like they feel like they're being manipulated. So I find that if people feel like they're being manipulated or patronized or all of the above, I think that's what really puts a barrier on communication between folks. Sure. You know, I just spoke with somebody yesterday who's a VP at one of the larger local companies. And, you know, he's somebody who has really thick skin. He's like, you know, if there's an issue, you just tell me, I'll take care of it. If I have an issue, I'll just tell you, I expect you to just take care of it. It's not personal. It's just business. If there's a mistake, you fix the mistake, we move on. And, but so while there are those who love his, let's get down to business, just get things done, move on, not waste time. uh, You know, that's great. But there are other people who can feel like he's a bit of a bully. It's like, I'm not a bully. It's not personal. I'm not trying to force you to do stuff. I'm just telling you what I think needs to be done. If you don't like it, you can tell me what you don't like about it and we'll just have a discussion. But it just comes across to certain people as being overly forceful and they don't like it. They feel intimidated by it and they don't respond well to it. It's not that he needs to be super, you know, gentle and pussyfooting around and walking on eggshells and saying, is it okay if we do this or if we do that? He doesn't need to go to that other extreme, but he does need to find ways to just soften the edges a little bit for those who do want to build a little bit more collaborative discussion, a little more relationship development in the process of it rather than just, you know, here's the Twitter length version of instruction I have for you. Okay. Got it. Good. Let's get back to business. Some people love that when they do great, knock yourself out. But for those who feel like it's a bit harsh, it's a bit abrupt. Here's the thought. Don't give it Twitter length, make it a paragraph instead. So just recognizing those details is going to really help you go whole different lengths of, of development with other people and relationships and influence. So in other words, make it new Twitter length instead of old Twitter <laughs> length, right? <laughs> That's a good start. Yes. Go for the full 280 characters instead of just the 140. Right. Exactly. So let's pivot into our Athena-based questions. You actually answered one of them about how women are, are elevating other women when you addressed the audience a little while ago. So it was a great mm-hmm. answer to that. Let's talk about the eight Athena leadership principles and that 
They are actually from the book Becoming Athena, Eight Principles to Enlighten Leadership by Athena International founder Martha Mertz. And your principle to comment on, which I think is perfect for you, it's it's amazing how every week on this podcast, we seem to pick the perfect principle for the guest totally by accident. I do these by <laughs> random, but it's some kind of uh, the universe taking care of me on this podcast. But yours is foster collaboration. And that's what your business is built on. What does that mean to you? Fostering collaboration that's interestingly enough, I think that's really the core of what I teach people how to do because influence, sure, there's the influence of, can I force you to do what I want you to do? I suppose that's one kind of influence, but it's not what I encourage or what I teach. The idea of true influence is helping people to understand each other's perspectives and then come to a resolution with regard to how something needs to proceed in a way that will satisfy everybody's needs and or make everybody feel respected, appreciated, and like they're contributing something of value that's useful for themselves and for the greater good. At that point, it is all of that collaboration comes down to how effectively you communicate, how authentically, how sincerely, how clearly, how effectively. It all comes down to collaboration. All right. Well, we'll get into our last few questions here. Of course, resources. We're going to have all sorts of resources that you've already provided and that I suggest people get. I bought your book. It's excellent. Speaking to influence, mastering your leadership voice. Thank of you. Course, you're welcome. It's uh, awesome. Uh, you are the founder of Vocal Impact Productions, mm-hmm. and we'll have a link to your website. Of course, your Twitter, your Skype, your LinkedIn, your contact information, the TED Talk that I thought was an article at the beginning <laughs> of the interview. <laughs> but uh, the link will be right, I promise. It'll link to a TED Talk and not an article. But what are some other resources you might point people at that uh, you feel would be helpful for them? Uh, number one is the website, vocalimpactproductions.com. Specifically, if you go to the resources page, vocalimpactproductions.com slash resources, there are dozens of videos uh, where I've been on television and or done other kinds of um, conference talks, keynotes, and other kinds of addresses where the full videos are up. There are podcasts and yours will be right at the top of the list as soon as it comes out, which I'm very excited about. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. I really do. Of course. And articles were either that I wrote or that I've been cited in. All of that is free and available. So whether you're looking for information about fundraising or you're looking for information about speaking with confidence or you're looking for resources on how to capture your your confidence on camera if you're going to be speaking on whatever camera for whatever purpose. I've got materials that are all free right there for you on that website. So that's always the easiest place to start. All right, great. Well, I always start with my guest. I end with my guest. And I like to give the floor to you at the beginning and at the end. So Dr. Laura Sicola, and by the way, Dr. Sicola, I have to I have to say a uh, personal story that I thought was pretty funny. Is we please I always I always ask somebody how to pronounce their name, <laughs> and you had the and I don't even want to steal your thunder. Before I hand the mic over to you, could you tell people <laughs> how you describe how to pronounce your name? I thought it was it, it was really funny. Sure, my last name is Sicola. It's S I C O L A. I said it's like Pepsi Cola without the pep. I'm the pep. You're the pep. I love it. I'm the pep. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to hand the uh, mic over to the pep 
as we're going to call you at the last part of the interview here. And uh, what would you like to say to the audience as we lead out of this great episode? When you find your voice, that's when you find your power. And that's where your influence comes from at the heart of the voice. So I encourage everybody, please come visit me at vocalimpactproductions.com. Reach out to me on LinkedIn at Dr. Laura Socola. Take a look at my book, Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice, which is available in paperback, ebook, as well as audiobook. And if you liked the 30 minutes of listening to me here, well, that'll help because I'm the one who does the actual reading for the audible version of the book. But I do look forward to any sort of questions or feedback or stories that you'd love to share. I always love hearing from the listeners out there. So Jeff, I want to thank you in particular for this invitation and the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. It's been terrific. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Dr. Laura Sicola, aka Pep. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much again. It was definitely uh, more than I expected. And believe me, my expectations were sky high leading into this interview <laughs> and you exceeded those. So thank you very much again. Thank you. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, we are switching to the new format. And next week, we'll tell you more about that. But in the meantime, our first guest for the new format is Dominique Giroux. And she is a professional that is intentional about mentoring others. And she believes it is vital to your career to do so. After this talk, you will be sold on doing the exact same thing. Here's a bit from Dominique. You know, if I could challenge anyone, and myself included, how can you share something about yourself in terms of what you know? And how can you, you know, pass that ball on now, that mentorship ball, onto the next woman or man, uh, male that comes into your life uh, professionally or personally? Because I think that we can really conquer some big things. We would love to have you in our Facebook group. Plus, could you like our Facebook page too? And also, you can join us on LinkedIn. All you have to do is put Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International into your Facebook or LinkedIn search bar and help us positively shape this podcast.